Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is our 394th show of ROI. And our guest for today's show is Dr. Joy Navin, licensed psychological associate and educational consultant at the Amon Group. We're going to be talking about her book, On Gifted Elders. The history buffs for today's show are Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Zapp-Savadal. And our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. This is the open segment of our show, which we refer to as Farukta Narin. And today we'll be talking about the book, On Gifted Elders, with Dr. Joy Navin, licensed psychological associate and educational consultant, at the Amon Group. Welcome to the show, Dr. Joy. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Can you give us a little background on why you felt you needed to write this book? I guess the inception of the book began when I was visiting um, a good friend and mentor of mine in California, Dr. Anna Marie Roper, who is basically a, a, le- a leader in our field. Uh, she is a legend in our field as well. Um, and this was a number of years before she passed, and she was living in her own home, and her children were becoming concerned about her living alone and keeping up a house, and were talking to her about going into some sort of an assisted living facility. This is probably the most brilliant person I ever knew. And she said to me, what will I do there? make potholders and nothing against potholders. I used, I, I used to do that as a kid and, and I still do crocheting and knitting and sometimes they end up as potholders, but (laughs) just, just to, um, just to think of her being in an assisted living, uh, or residential care facility was really difficult for me. I visit residential care facilities or I, did before COVID um, on a regular basis, and um, there's really nothing for bright, gifted people uh, to keep them engaged and keep them um, creatively productive, at least in the facilities that I visited. So that was kind of the inception for me to look at how do gifted individuals age and what are their needs as they age okay um joy one of the chapters of your book that i really enjoyed um you titled the elusive love affair achievement from an elder's perspective and this kind of goes to what you were talking about with mary um roper uh can you talk a little bit about that need for achievement and and for for uh, doing meaningful things um, that, that gifted folks may share even more than the general public? Yes, um, I can share that I and several of the 40-plus gifted elders that uh, helped me um, and were participants in, in the study that gave rise to this book uh, were on their fourth or fifth profession at the time that I was interviewing them or at the time that they were completing a questionnaire for me. Uh, just to share a friend of mine who, you know, is a lawyer, a court advocate, uh, a a teacher of 
English, um, and several other has has had several other occupations and professions throughout her life. Told me a few weeks ago that she was retiring, and I said, "No, you're not retiring. You're just going on to your next adventure." And lo and behold, in the last couple of weeks, she's uh, created a website and opened a new um, a new adventure. <laughs> so um, that is the need that. Those of us that um, basically have that that impulse to um, be productive, to achieve uh, not necessarily the best of everything, but to continue to contribute to our society and, and to our respective fields, that impulse doesn't leave when we turn 55 or 60 or myself in my mid-70s. Okay. Um, when you thought, thought about or started working on this project, and of course, um, everybody at this table here has worked on projects and trying to explain it to individuals who don't really have a clue the road that you're going down to accomplish this. Um, I'm sure we've all seen the same bizarre stare of why are you doing that or I don't get it. Um, of course, your book is dealing with a, I hate to say it, a pretty embedded stereotype that, again, in the latter part of our life, we're, we're sent off to pasture. Um, what were some of the statements or how did your world um, digest what you were trying to show? Uh, first of all, I did, I, I do in the book, in the, in the opening chapters of the book, I do review what giftedness is. And gifted individuals are neurodiverse, as we all are neurodiverse, but they are neurodiverse in, in such ways that they not only think um, at a very high level, but they are also very sensitive. They are emotionally intense. Uh, they care about gifted cause. They care about global causes, and uh, not that others don't. But gifted do this in a unique way, in which they need, uh, as children, to have what we call differentiated instruction, which means instruction that allows them to make continuous progress in their learning as well as address their social and emotional needs as gifted children. Well, for many years in our, in our particular field, uh, we worked uh, on working with elementary children and then eventually middle school. And at high school, gifted differentiation seemed to kind of die out. Um, now it's becoming more popular to provide uh, instruction targeted for the gifted individual at higher levels. And now we have honors programs at, in co at colleges, et cetera. But then so many of the gifted adults that have responded to me have told me, well, I thought that stopped when I turned, you know, 20 or when I became an adult. I didn't realize that there were gifted adults and that even at my age, this would be one of my my uh, participants saying this, even at my age, in my 50s or 60s, am I really gifted? And yeah, gifted doesn't stop. It's a lifetime construct. Okay. 
Um, I'm going to kind of follow up on what John said because uh, what strikes me, I'm a, a gifted uh, teacher um, and uh, family therapist, um, and I teach high school uh, and have been lucky enough to do that in a district but have often been sort of the only person or one of a handful of people in my state uh, in Iowa who did high school work. Um, but there are a lot of sort of stereotypes that, that you're having to fight against um, for gifted adults. You just mentioned one, that idea of did I grow out of being gifted. Um, can you talk about some, some other stereotypes that gifted um, elders uh, have to face and, and overcome in one way or another? Uh, would you mind if I just read a little bit from my book? Go ahead. I would love that. <laughs> share, shares what the gifted adult um, experience is. Uh, and, and this was a, someone who was a child in the 50s. That's from me as a child of the 50s, of the 40s and 50s. I'll really date myself. <laughs> we did not hear the word gifted as a child. We thought we were odd. Even as we age, it is difficult to say aloud, I am a gifted adult. We realize the differences in our reasoning, but mostly in our feelings. When loved ones hurt, we feel physical pain. A breathtaking sunset brings tears to our eyes. We lie awake at night wishing we could set things right in the world. We labor to internalize the wisdom of Candide to tend our own garden. And when we do, it is with an intensity that could ignite the universe. And that's kind of what it is to be a gifted adult. So as that is perceived by others that don't understand the construct of giftedness, we're too intense, we're too nerdy, our intellectual imperative is overbearing, etc. Um, it, it strikes me that, that again, you're talking in, in most senses, um, you know, the, the problems that, that adolescent gifted feel are, are no different, um, really, than the problems that gifted elders uh, seem to be facing as well. Exactly. Um, the only, the big difference, of course, is, as Anna Marie Roper used to say, the growing disparity between our minds and our bodies. <laughs> so, you know, we're slower, we hurt more, we, um, you know, we can't go out and, and uh, do the things that we were able to do with children, with other adults, um, to the same extent as we could. And we also, you know, are aware of that, you know, that that, that is to come, the veil that is approaching. Okay, well, we have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In times of joy, in moments of grief, broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of the show, referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Dr. Joy Navin, licensed psychological associate and educational consultant at the Amund Group. And we're going to be talking about her book, On Gifted Elders. Our history buffs for today's show are Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. And Brett, as a gifted teacher yourself, you get the first question. Joy, you talked a lot um, in the last segment about how there's this sense of frustration with gifted elders where they aren't um, able to do things they used to um, because of getting older. And it strikes me that's very similar to some of the gifted children that I've worked with um, on the opposite end, where they don't have the um, fine motor control or the access to a car um, to be able to pursue opportunities that they'd like. Is there a place for gifted elders as mentors for uh, gifted youth, and and does that sort of give them a chance to commiserate? Uh, You know, there's a wonderful, I wish I could remember the name of it now, I didn't realize this question was going to come up, but you know, there's a wonderful model, a residence model, uh, and I believe it's in I know it's in Washington State. I believe it may be in Seattle, in which um, the it's an assisted living facility in which the elders who live in in that facility uh, have to commit to a certain number of hours uh, per month that they mentor children. And children come into their environment uh, into you know like a big common area. And they mentor them either with homework or they share an, ex, uh, an area of expertise that they have or a skill or an art. Um, and uh, I think it's, you know, it's a wonderful chance for elders to mentor. But there's also, the, there's also online mentoring. And um, when I was teaching at the high school level and when I was teaching graduate courses in gifted education, I could have spouted this off immediately, but it's been a number of years. But if, if someone were to search, if a gifted elder wanted to mentor children, if they were to search mentoring gifted, um, they probably would be able to find some sites where you're able to serve as a mentor to other children, or to children, excuse me. Well, and that makes me think of a couple similar uh, situations that I'm familiar with. I know of a retirement community, I believe, in the Netherlands, where it pairs um, retirees and college students, and so they have common areas, um, and they have to commit to interact with each other so many hours a month. And also, I just read an article about um, foreign language students uh, Skyping into um, retirement communities in France and Germany and using that as an opportunity to to practice their language skills. Exactly. That sounds great. Okay. Rick. Joy, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm one of the few capitalists on the, the uh, team, and I was curious, read your book, and uh, kind of hit home on some of the things I faced working for 
30 years with an, a Dow Jones industrial uh, giant, um, there, I always felt there was a subtle discrimination in the workplace for what, after reading your book, I recognized as people who uh, fit your, your definition of talented and gifted. Uh, my company that I retired from, I put every manager through Myers-Briggs uh, analysis so they could uh, fit you into the appropriate uh, slot in the uh, industrial cogwheel, but it actually represented a way to uh, to keep people from going up the organization that didn't fit the, the mold that they wanted for their senior leaders. Uh, have you uh, found or researched any of this subtle type of discrimination in uh, particularly the business world? Uh, that's not been a part of my research, but I will tell you that I've seen I've seen demonstration, uh, excuse me, discrimination, and I've also heard from parents whose kids have suffered bullying and discrimination in class just because of their giftedness. Um, one in particular I'm thinking of, the mother is now, you know, homeschooling the children and they won quite a, uh, a large <laughs> settlement in a lawsuit <laughs> yes. against a large school district. So yes, um, I, I, I can speak to the academic part of it. Yes, there, there really is. Um, you know, the, the kid that knows all the answers is not going to be the teacher's favorite, especially when that kid corrects the teacher. No. That holds true in uh, in uh, capitalism. <laughs> a question um, to go with this, um, Joy. You're talking about, of course, the individuals who are gifted elders, and like many individuals who happen to be gifted, um, being able to relate and to form relationships with individuals that they trust, that they care about, and can, as I said, possibly see eye to eye to them or at least understand their um, their way of life and how they, they tick. When these individuals, let's say, meet other individuals and it clicks and then those individuals leave their lives, either they pass away or they have to go somewhere else. And and because it's in the latter part of their life, have you come across with this where you have instances of emotional, they're emotionally crushed or or how do they cope with this? Because people come and go, but for the gifted, being able to relate to someone isn't always an easy deal. Exactly. Uh, yes, and because gifted individuals tend to be much more emotionally intense, you know, our, a blow like that is very, very difficult. And that's why it's really important. One of the one of the pieces that of my book that that I have is um, a B attitude, and that's capital B E dash attitude for gifted individuals is to find your tribe, um, and that. And truthfully, since um, I've been more, I'm not retired, but I'm doing all my work on teletherapy now and doing my educational consulting via uh, teleconsulting for the, it's been close, what, eight, nine months at this point. Um, What I'm finding where my tribe is, is finding finding the groups on Facebook that are my tribe. Uh, you, if you just go to, to Facebook and, and search gifted, 
uh, gifted individuals can find different groups and from there other groups that would be places where they can relate, where they can, you know, have a forum for discussion. Okay. Um, Joy, I, I found it. I, I loved your book for all sorts of reasons, but it, it particularly rang a bell for me. Um, 20 years ago, uh, at a NAGC conference, um, I sat in on a um, uh, on a session that was led by Mary Lou Streznuski, and yeah, gifted, yeah, and on gifted adults, and her book on her her uh, her information, her chapter on gifted elders, um, absolutely echoed uh, what you had to say. So obviously, the same kinds of issues. Um, have existed uh, for at least a couple of decades at this point. Um, can you talk about, because I was inspired by your book to um, start trying to provide some gifted elder uh, services at um, our local um, assisted living and nursing home facilities by, by what uh, you had to say. Can you talk a little bit about the kinds of things that people can do uh, either for family members or as uh, community volunteer services that would really be of help to uh, our gifted elder community? Yes, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share that. Uh, first of all, I, I want to tell you that mm, this book on gifted elders really echoes all the voices of the 40-plus elders that were collaborators with me. <clears throat> it's their voice that is coming through, and and I am so appreciative of you know them giving their time and their talent to share with me their their suggestions for what gifted elders uh, need and and how we can age gracefully, if if you want to call it gracefully. Um, yes, I mentioned a little earlier in the program about differentiated environments or differentiated instruction for children. Um, many of you know, many people who can afford to live in in aged communities uh, have a lot of these elements and have even more enrichment and and depth of um, experiences. But most of our aging people um, are not able to afford that luxury. So these are things that these are. Um, things that can be instituted easily um, at very little cost at any living facility, any residential facility. One would be uh, providing technology, um, as, and especially now as more and more members of the aging, of the aged uh, become more technologically proficient, uh, just having computers where they can interact via video communication with family and others. Um, intuitive tablets would be really simple to have for, for them to, uh, to be able to, have, to, to search and read and find out more about things that interest them in the world that may not be at their fingertips there in their, in their residential environment. Um, another piece is a literacy-rich environment. Um, you know, when I go into assisted living 
and um, and residential homes. I see very, very few books, and I see no periodicals, and maybe a few, you know, like trade magazines, but not a variety of magazines. And that would be so easy for community members to to um, provide. One elder that I visited regularly before the pandemic, um, he wouldn't let me in his room if I didn't have the current newspaper. <laughs> and he, he was just so hungry for a newspaper. And, and another uh, woman, all she, she, you know, she had boxes of books that one of her friends would bring her from the library and she'd go through them all. And if she finished them all before, um, before it was time for another load of book, books, she started reading them over again. So, you know, having literacy rich environments, Another piece, uh, another thing would be local authors or community members could go in and give book talks where they could, other, the people in the, in the community could read and discuss reading, or they could just listen to people talk about books that they found in, in um, interesting. The freedom to self-regulate, uh, that was, you know, one of the things that really struck me. When you know they're when I'm in the in the environments and and the elders are called, you have to report to the desk the desk or it's time for your medicine or you have to eat at such and such a time, uh, you know. And I realize that that there there has to be a certain amount of regulation, but to provide whatever freedom you can within that regulation <laughs> and allow the uh, the elder to self-regulate and to continue to feel that sense of self self and self-efficacy um and the finally finally is to provide a place of sanctuary a place for spiritual enrichment um it could be hopefully it would be outside in nature when the when the uh um, weather permitted, but to have a place with, you know, just a, a quiet place where they not is not the um, the common room, but a quiet place where individuals can go just to be al- alone, maybe have some reading available there, you know, have some perhaps a water feature where they can just contemplate the path of their lives and gain gain wisdom for the rest of their life. Okay. It is customary to give our guests the last words on the show, and our segment is kind of winding down. So, Joy, what do you think of knowing about gifted elders in our community and society is relevant in today's world? You know, I don't think I've said anything so far that wouldn't be helpful for all gifted individuals. And, you know, right now we're looking at we're looking at the same... Um, percentage of gifted individuals on one end of the spectrum than we're looking at on another end of the spectrum in which, you know, there's federal funding, there's federal legislation, et cetera, preserving their needs. So I think it's time for our society to step forward and meet the needs of all of our special learners. Okay. I wholeheartedly agree and will be doing my part. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. 
This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes the 394th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. We would like to thank our guest, Dr. Joy Navin, licensed psychological associate and educational consultant at the Emmon Group, who talked to us about her book on gifted elders. The history buffs for today's show were Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.